0: So John 13 tells us that as Passover was approaching that Jesus knew what was coming. Passover was an important meal to Jesus who was a Jewish man and to most of those who were his followers alongside him who were also Jewish in their background, Jewish in their upbringing, still Jewish in their faith as they were following what they believed to be the Jewish Messiah. Passover was this feast, it was this celebration that existed to uh, remember, to remind them of what had happened long before in Egypt. We're told in the book of Exodus that... The Spirit of God moved through Egypt and in doing so that the firstborn of the Egyptian families and of their herds and of their livestock were killed, but that the Israelites were passed over because they had been obedient to the instruction of God. Because they had taken the blood of the Lamb and they had painted it on their doorpost as they were supposed to. It was the signal that they were the people of God. So all of those who had obeyed, all of those who were the people of God were passed by. So this feast was created. This ongoing feast, this celebration in which they would celebrate being passed over. The Passover, a celebration, a reminder. If you were here when... Uh, Rabbi Robert Pristoop was here with us. He talked about the Passover, um... Couple of you, John, right, and Carolyn, were up here uh, sampling some things that he had brought along with him, and he told you and instructed you on what they were and the symbolism that existed, uh, both for the early Jewish people, those who had walked through uh, this event of being passed over in Egypt, those who had left uh, slavery in route to the Promised Land, and, and the symbols that it carried for them, but also the forward-pointing symbolism that existed in each of the elements that. That were part of the, fast, the Passover meal, and each piece that continued to point forward as to what was coming, as to what would happen. And the passage in John 13 tells us Jesus knew what was coming. Jesus understood what was next. Jesus had gathered in this room. With some of his closest followers. And together they were coming together to celebrate this feast. To remember what had been done. To remember what was coming. And in John 13 in verse 1. We see that it says Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew the symbolism. He knew what was coming. He knew what was around the corner. So as Jesus walked into this meal with some of his closest friends. With those who had been faithful in following him. He was aware that this was... His last meal together with them. Often we refer to this as the Last Supper. This meal, this gathering is so important that in, in all four retellings of Jesus' life, the books that we call the Gospel, Matthew and Mark and Luke and in John, this gathering is talked about. In all of them, uh, the story is told. And yet, for some reason, John's telling is unique. In the other three stories, they focus on the meal. They focus on the passing of the bread, the passing of the cup, the, the meal that we remember that we celebrate when we participate in the Lord's Supper together as we did last week. But in John's story, for some reason, he kind of skims past the meal and he spends his time focusing on this action that we see take place, this washing of feet. Now, as I told you before I read it, I, I love this story. I honestly can't understand why it's here and not in the other retellings of what took place. I can't understand why they would leave this out because, for me, this story is so powerful in giving us a glimpse into who Jesus is and the ways in which Jesus worked and in what Jesus was doing. And one of my favorite parts of the passage, one of the things that I love the most, is trying to make sense of this one little statement— That also comes in the end of verse 1. It says this. It says, he had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. A a well-known commentator and translator whose, whose last name is Mounts says that there are two accurate and appropriate... Leave that verse up for a minute, Billy. There are two accurate and appropriate translations for the way that the end of this verse happens. The New Living Translation, and, and honestly, many of our kind of modern translations choose to use this, this idea that, that Jesus loved his disciples all the way through to the end of his life, all the way through to this, to the end of his earthly ministry. This This through to the end is what has been chosen as the norm. But apparently, in the Greek language, The other that is completely appropriate is actually my favorite. And if you have a new international version of the scriptures, not a new translation of it that came out in the last few years, but the one that came out in like 76 or 78 or sometime around there. If you have that translation, it actually uses the other one that Mount says is appropriate. And it's the one that I prefer. It says this. It says, then Jesus showed them the full extent of of his love. And in many of our modern translations you'll see the little star, the little footnote and it says down on the bottom that same thing that it that it could also mean full extent. Mounts asks the question, why is it we feel the need to choose between the two? Because both are appropriate. And yet our translators feel that need to choose one or the other. There's another commentator who actually proposes that he thinks John intended for the early readers to hear both. And that's why it was, was written the way that it was. Is because in Greek it meant both. It meant that Jesus showed his love fully and that Jesus showed it to completion. I, I love it. I love that idea, and I love that it is connected to this story. Jesus showed his disciples the full extent of his love all the way to the end. If you've ever participated in a foot-washing ceremony... You know that that experience is incredibly humbling. Doesn't matter if your feet are being washed or if you're the one doing the washing. Those experiences are unbelievably humbling. And whether you participated or not, what might be going through your mind is, uh, that sounds gross. Well, it typically is. It isn't actually a, a pretty experience. Most of us have an issue with regards to our feet kind of stink, especially if we've worn socks and shoes all day. It's funny. Some of you just began looking at your spouse as if they're the only one whose feet stink. But shoes and socks, and you can pull that verse now, Billy, shoes and socks actually, although they might add stink, make other things much, much Better. You see, these roadways that these men and women would have walked up in Jerusalem um, weren't well manicured. They weren't very cl- they weren't cleaned very often. There were no such thing as big machines that were street sweepers that went along picking up all of the trash and all the extra debris. In fact, as I expect you assume, but let me say it just in case you didn't, they wouldn't have been paved. They would have been dirt roads and when dirt roads get rained on they become mud roads and all kinds of traffic went up and down these roads all kinds of different beings traveled up and down the roads there were no cars But there would have been some who would have pushed or pulled some kind of wagon in order to carry stuff back and forth. There also would have been some that used animals in order to either push or pull these wagons or these carriers that were taking place. So animals would be moving up and down the street, some of them carrying wagons. Other animals would just be meandering up and down the street wherever they wanted to go, whenever they wanted to go, wandering here and there, nibbling on flowers or plants or whatever they could find to nibble along. The way and leaving remains as they were there. I assume you know what I mean when I use the word remains, right? Some of you aren't shaking your head. Yes, I'm not sure what to think about you not understanding my usage of that word, but they would leave treats behind. Sheep don't use public restrooms. There weren't any anyway. But neither to goats or horses or, or cattle. When they gotta go, they just go. Wherever they are. With no discretion as to who may or may not be walking behind them soon. So Jesus and the disciples, as they walked to come to this place and gather, they walked along dusty, muddy, poopy streets. In sandals. And they weren't very cautious as they moved along these roadways because eventually being cautious, trying to dodge piles of this and piles of that left here and there would have become exhausting. And when it rained, they wouldn't have known the difference anyway. So they would have just walked and they would have just stepped where they stepped and they would have caught what they caught along the way. So it was general practice that when they went to their own homes or when they gathered at someone else's home, that they would come in and that they would take off their shoes and that either they or someone else would clean their nasty feet. If they weren't cleaning them themselves, then many of the houses had a slave or the lowest servant on the totem pole whose job it was to clean the feet of guests. Now, can you imagine? Weird enough to clean the feet of people you know, but imagine if there's strangers who are coming in and have stepped in stuff along the way. This was not the job that the servants fought over. No one wanted the job of washing feet. It wasn't desirable. In fact, it was incredibly demeaning to wash this dirt and mud and other stuff off the feet of those who came to visit or to share a meal. Scripture tells us Jesus showed his disciples the full extent of his love all the way to the end. The passage tells us that it came time for the meal. It was time to gather together and and Jesus took off. The robe that he was wearing is the way many of our translations say it. The Greek gives us the understanding that Jesus took off his clothes and was left in probably just a loincloth. Their version of underwear is all that Jesus continued to wear. And he took a towel and with this towel he wrapped it around his waist. And it would would have added coverage to his body, but it also became a work tool that he was going to use. Jesus took the pitcher and the basin that would have been there, that would have been prepared for this. And the way that it worked is that water would have been poured over the feet. And it would have caught the water and all the remains in this basin below their feet. And then Jesus began with pitcher and basin and towel around his waist to wash the feet ...of his disciples. He got down on his hands and his knees because they would have been gathered for the meal, reclining halfway, kind of laid out. There weren't tables. Their, their, Their feet weren't underneath as they were sitting in chairs, but they were on cushions on the floor, most likely. And Jesus, on hands and knees, began to move from person to person, washing their feet one at a time, stopping at each. This disgusting act... That was of incredibly shaming character to anyone of any esteem in that culture. And Jesus made sure that every crevice was free of whatever it was that they brought in. And then gently and kindly and humbly he took the towel that was wrapped around his waist and he began... To pat and to dry each foot. And then he got up and he moved to the next one. And again and again and again, as he worked his way around the room, he cleaned their feet. Jesus became the slave. Jesus became the servant. Jesus lowered his own status and in doing so also elevated the status of those who were with him. You notice the struggle that that was for Peter, right? The the pushback that came from him as he couldn't figure out how this was taking place. How this exchange was at all possible or at all acceptable. Jesus showed his disciples the full extent of his love all the way to the end. And when he finished working his way around the room, a dirty bowl of water in his hands, he elevated their status even more with the challenge that he gave them, and we find it in verse 15, as it says, I have given you an example to follow, do as I have done. Jesus looked around the room and he said, now, now you go, now you go do this Same thing. You take the elevated position, the position of teacher, of Messiah, of bringer, of peace, of forgiveness. Take that elevated position and in the process, lower yourself and find ways to celebrate and serve others. Last week as we started this, this new series, we decided that we were going to use as a guide the tool that Doug Dubois has created called Six Simple Steps. And what we're talking about is we're talking about evangelism. We're talking about how we share our faith with other people. And last week we talked about the idea of praying for people, of deeply and in committed ways and in regular ways praying both specifically for people we know and generally for people that we don't, but praying deeply that God would work in their life. And today. The second step is celebrate and serve others. And Jesus modeled this work beautifully in John chapter 13. Jesus, in ways that only Jesus could pull off, modeled what it meant to serve his followers, to serve his disciples, to serve his friends. To celebrate who they were and who they were becoming. Jesus showed his disciples the full extent of his love all the way to the end. And then he told them and he told us to go and do the same thing. Friends, much of what it means to help others find their way to Jesus, to help others come to the place that they are walking forward in faith, that they are journeying forward in faith, doesn't have to do with information. Now, information is important, and we're going to get to that. We're going to talk about the information that is a part of this in a couple of weeks. But we have to understand that one of the most significant things that we do in the work of helping people find their way towards Jesus is making sure that people feel deeply loved by us, by their Savior Jesus, and by the God who created them. And through the work of prayer and through the work of of, of celebrating and of serving people, we communicate to people that they are loved. In intentional and sometimes difficult and demeaning tasks, we let other people know that we love them enough to help them. We love them enough to care for them. We love them enough to affirm them. We love them enough to serve them. Now, it's easy to read a passage like this and get caught up in the idea of, of appropriate behaviors or kindness or, or what's happening with that. And, and, and yet, I think that the truth is, this is talking about more than kindness. This is more than just being nice to other people. This is coming to the place that we communicate to people that they are loved and that we're able to do so because we believe that we have been loved by Jesus. We do this work not just because we want to be kind, not just because we want to care for other people, but because we believe that Jesus deeply loves them. And what's happening in this work, what's happening in this act of taking on demeaning tasks, demoralizing tasks, difficult tasks, of serving in this way, is that we're communicating that we are being transformed into a people who love others more deeply. A people who love those who we want to love And the people who love those who we actually have no interest in loving. I mean the story is already incredibly powerful. But as I think about the loving move that is taking place in this. I think about Jesus washing Peter's feet. And the pushback that he and Peter have in this. But the reality that Peter will go on to lead the church to incredible things. And then I am also reminded that in this room... Is Judas, the one who is also responsible for turning him over to those who will put him to death. And Jesus didn't pick and choose whose feet he washed. Jesus didn't decide to wash one and skip the next. Jesus loved them. As we do these kinds of works, it is not just because we're kind. It's because we believe wholeheartedly that Jesus loves all people. In this John 13 work that was taking place, we find that... If if you try and explore a little deeper what's going on, there is this reality, and he kind of begins to communicate this to Peter, that, that there is both action and symbol taking place in the work of Jesus. Often as Jesus does things, it happens on two different levels. The, the first level of it is easy. It's, it's obvious. It's the action of serving. It's the, the literal washing of feet that takes place and this, this demeaning act of serving others that Jesus was willing to do as he did this despicable work of washing dirt and dung from the disciples' feet. But on the, on the second level, deeper, as we dive below the surface of just the action that takes place, we also find that Jesus' work was incredibly symbolic. And uh, even the disciples who were gathered in the room wouldn't understand what was fully going on, wouldn't understand why Jesus was doing this for a few more days. There were some more things that needed to take place for them to be able to look back on this and go, wow, that's what was happening. Because on that night as they gathered, Jesus wasn't just cleaning feet. This was also an incredible symbol of the forgiveness That Jesus was bringing into their life You see those feet that he cleaned Had walked in some terrible messes on the way They'd made lots of wrong turns They'd plopped right down in the center of some stuff that they regretted There was mud and mire and muck Caked around their ankles and between their toes And also those disciples had walked in some terrible messes On the way from where they began to sitting in this room with Jesus. They'd made some wrong turns along the way. They had plopped right in the center of some stuff that they regretted. And the reality is, with their lives, they weren't finished stepping in messes. Soon, Peter would deny even knowing who Jesus was. And yet, as Jesus cleaned their feet... He was also making it clear the symbol that he desired to clean their souls. That very soon he would lower himself again, that he would again be stripped of his clothing, that he would again be demeaned and ridiculed, that he was preparing for the way of the cross. And that on the cross, Jesus would do one last great act of service. Jesus would do one last great act of celebrating them. Jesus would do one last great act of cleaning. As he would wash away the mud and the mire that was caked on the hearts and the souls of those who would follow him. On the cross, Jesus forgave. And all were made clean once again. On the cross, Jesus would bind them together, much like he'd done in this room as they shared a final meal together. But they would be brought together not because of who they were, but because of whose they were. Because of their willingness and their desire to follow after Jesus, they would be joined together as the body of Christ. They would be joined together together. As the forgiven, they would be joined together as the people who had been made clean by Jesus. Jesus showed his disciples the full extent of his love all the way to the end. Friends, Jesus loved us so fully that he celebrated us. Jesus loved us so fully that he served us. Jesus loved us so fully that he forgave us. Jesus loved you and me so fully that he cleaned all of the muck and mire and sin from our heart and from our soul. Jesus loved us so much that he asked us to be partners in this work. Valley, it is time for us to tell the world that they are deeply loved by Jesus. It is time for us to look for every possible opportunity that we can to communicate to those that we know and those that we don't that they are deeply loved by Jesus. And the second step on this journey that we're talking about is the work of celebrating and serving others. It is a beautifully bold way in which we communicate to others that they are wanted. They are Loved, Not just by us, although that too is true, but that they are loved by the Savior of the world. They are loved by the creator of the universe. If you have um, a bulletin, inside it, again, there is a worksheet. This worksheet was once again taken from Doug's work, from his work, uh, Six Simple Steps. And let me be honest. You don't need this sheet... You don't, you don't actually need this worksheet in order to do the work that we're trying to put in front of you. You don't need last week's worksheet for that matter. As you listed someone's name and and wrote down ways in which you could pray for them and special events and significant things that were going on, you don't need that worksheet and you don't need this worksheet. These are simply tools. Tools to get our wheels turning. Tools to get us thinking about other people. Tools to help us no longer be passive. In passing on the love and the work of Jesus, the message and the truth of the gospel. These are tools to help push us towards intentionality in sharing the love and the message of the gospel. So you don't you don't need the sheet. We just hope it serves as a resource for you. And the challenge to you, if you would like to use it, is to take this worksheet and to think about the same person... Or the same people, if you did more than one last week, that you were beginning to pray for. And to now begin to look for specific ways in which you can begin to serve them. Ways in which you can begin to celebrate them. Very, very simple. And yet, sure, sometimes difficult, maybe even demeaning tasks in which you could communicate to them that you were willing to lower yourself. So that they can be reminded that they are loved by Jesus. And I want to encourage you as we talk about this. This is not a 6 week process in how you move people that you know from knowing nothing about God to being faithful followers of Jesus. That journey of discipleship, we talk about taking a lifetime, but even the the decision to follow Jesus, we're not giving you these sheets or talking about it over 6 weeks because we believe that whoever is on your mind, you will accomplish this work in the next 6 weeks. When Doug trains people in this, he tells them that that more often than not, it takes a year or more to see that person choose to come to follow Jesus. We're giving you the tools so that you can begin the process, so that you can begin the work. So you won't have accomplished praying for them over the last week. Assuming you even remembered to do so when you walked out of the room. You're only beginning that work. And with this one, you're only beginning that work of celebrating and serving others. But we encourage you to do so. And to do so with deep commitment and intentionality. Because, friends, we believe that people are loved by Jesus. And we believe that one of the great flaws in our world today is that they don't know that. Or even worse, they have been told that they are loved by Jesus. And yet what the church has actually communicated in the way we have acted is that they are not truly loved by Jesus. So it is time for us to change tactic and help the world know that all people are deeply loved by the Savior. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for... Gathering with us in this space, we thank you for inviting us into your presence. Jesus, I thank you for loving me, for loving us, for loving all of the people that you have created, for loving all of your creation. And God, it is my hope that because we are a people who recognize that we are loved, because we are a people who have experienced your love, it is my hope that we will become a people who, through every means necessary, communicate and pass your love on to others. Give us courage to pray for them, to celebrate them to serve them, and to continue to walk with them on their journey of faith. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. Friends, we want to spend some time reflecting and responding to what God is doing. So our team is going to come and they're going to lead us in some songs of worship. And as they do so, we invite you to take this time, to take this space, and to listen to the voice of God. If you come week after week and you listen to a few songs, and all you hear in our time together is my voice, then this has been a terrible waste of your morning. But if you will take a moment, if you will take this time and you will open up your heart and your mind, if you will open your soul to hearing the voice of God speak, God longs to speak to you. And sure, it can be hard to decipher what God may be saying or how God might be speaking. That is a practice that we get better and better at over time. But until we're willing to make ourselves available, God won't force his way in. So we invite you in this space to listen for the voice of God. Listen to how God might be calling you specifically to move forward. And then if you're willing to begin to respond today. Maybe today you need to come and pray. Maybe there are prayers of confession for ways in which you have overlooked others and ways in which you have communicated something other than love to them. And if you need to come here and pray, then this time and this space is open to you. Maybe you need to gather with someone else and pray with them or for them. Maybe you need one of our leaders to pray with you or to pray over you. We are more than willing to do so. Maybe your way of responding is to stand and worship. To raise your hands and to sing with all of your might, no matter what key it comes out in, to the Savior who loves you. Or maybe it's to sit and pray for the friend who is on your heart who you need to write on that list. Or maybe today your response needs to be that in this very moment, for the very first time, you too want to choose to walk with Jesus. And if that's the case, I'd love to visit with you about what that means. I would love to begin the conversation about what it means to give your heart and your life to Jesus, to choose to follow him. Take this time, listen for the voice of God and respond as he's calling you to do so.